Ooh, it came out strong, coming in hot. <laughs> Brian said, I'd have to wrangle you back to your seats. So here I am wrangling right now. I'll tell you what, I say this almost every time that I get to be here, and I've been walking with you guys, sometimes running with you guys from day one. I was here in the very beginning, and it's one of the great, great, great delights of my life that I have had a chance to be in connection with this church for all these years. And I say it every time. I just, every time I get in this place, under this covering, in this anointing, it just reminds me of why I do what I do. I love the church. I've grown up in it. My dad's a pastor. And I know for some people that seems weird. But man, it is plan A and there's no plan B. We are the bride of Christ. He's returning for us. And man, I love this representation of the bride. I love the anointing here. I've always loved the diversity. I, I love the heart. I love how many people that have been in ministry and broken that have come through these doors over the years and how you've wrapped your arms around them. I love your pastors. I mean, I, I, with all of my heart, I just a quick update on the Malachi Network. Most of you are aware that as Jeff transitioned. He's now become the co-director of the Malachi Network with me. I couldn't be more happy about that. This past year, Jeff and I gave ourselves to establishing a new training program within the Malachi Network called 111. You can find out about that at 111.com or 111.org. I forget which one it is. But we now have in, in the books, we've got this done over the last year, we recorded 28 sessions, about an hour to an hour and a half long, on four pillars that will enable us to be fruitful and faithful until the end of this age. And we do seven weeks on Christology, seven weeks on eschatology, the end times, seven weeks on ecclesiology, that's the church, and then seven weeks on missiology, walking that out with fruitfulness and faithfulness. And so we gave ourselves to that last year. It took a lot of effort, a lot of connection coming together, but they're recorded, and we had our first class of 12 students go through it. I'm so delighted with that. We're going to launch a new class starting in March, so I'd love for you to be aware of that and follow us and, and, and be a part of that if you can. Um, it's, it's online, and it's weekly training with our teaching session and then a devotional session as well and some interaction with us. We have a new church starting in the Malachi Network in a matter of weeks now in Alabama with two of the best young men I've ever met, Lee Weeks and Theo Steinhauer. They're starting together a new church, a mentoring program for young people, a coaching mentoring program for young athletes. It's just a wide vision and also a house of prayer committed to Israel right, uh, in the Shoals area of Alabama. So neat things are happening within the network that you're a part of. I couldn't be more happy that your pastor, Brian, is on our board. Um, man, <laughs> let me, uh, he would not probably want me to do this, but I love him and Carrie, and I've not met anyone quite like him. To me, he's like a one in a million because he's got such wild creativity such, man, just depth of creativity, and he's analytical. I mean, who does, who has that? Both sides of the brain. Crazy people do. A deep, deep analytical, and he's practical. He can do stuff. I mean, I've watched most of the neat stuff around this place is because of him. I'm just, he's just a one in a million to me, and I'm so thankful that he's on our board because we need him. And so thank you for allowing him to do that and for the connection that we have together. And I think we're in for our best days as a network. And so keep praying for the Malachi Network. Today, I want to speak about something that's really important to me, and it centers in who I know Jesus to be. And we're going to look at two very different aspects of what Jesus brings to us from John chapter 6, which I think is a series that you're in right now. So I'm fitting into that. But what delight it is for me 
to be able to share this vision of who Jesus is from the story of the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. It's the only story, the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. So that ought to mean something to us, right? There's weight in this. This is important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John found this to be essential for us, and they put it in their gospel of the storyline of who Jesus is. But I want us to focus on two aspects of the character and the power of Jesus. First, his extravagance. And then secondly, his frugality. And I think we see this clearly in this passage. You know, I feel an extra anointing today to talk about the extravagance of Jesus because Tanya and I are fresh off of a week in Disney World with 15 in our family. I saved for three years. This is the dream of mine to have all of my kids and all of my grandkids in Disney World. We did it all. We did the four-day park hopper. And that's why I'm sitting on a stool today because it kicked my butt uh, four days in Disney. But man, I'm a cheap person by nature. It is mind-boggling to me that I can be in Disney World. It's only the third time I've ever been in my life. We, we took our kids there twice over their growing up years. I don't get it how I can spend all that money and feel like it's worth every penny. It just is mind-boggling to me. I saw a couple pass me. The wife had best anniversary ever with Mickey on her shirt. The husband had most expensive anniversary ever (laughs) with Mickey on his shirt. (laughs) Uh, Extravagant. I mean, I might have paid what I paid just for that Epcot show at the end of the night. Extravagance. So I feel a special anointing today. And I'm so delighted that what I'll share with you is even more extravagant than Disney. The extravagance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's right here right now. His arm isn't any, the right arm of power isn't any shorter today than it was when he fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 20,000 in total. The extravagance of Jesus. Here's what I want you to get. I'm so glad, Brian, that you stopped the worship and got Rodney up here to pray over us for a revelation of his beauty and the smile on his face. He's right here, right now. He knows you. He knows exactly what you bring to this worship time this morning. He knows the brokenness that's in you. He knows the joy that's in your heart. He knows everything about you. He knows the hair on your head. And he comes with extravagance. We're going at the end of this time together to share in Holy Communion together and experience today afresh and anew the extravagance of God's love that was demonstrated to us that Jesus Christ suffered and died to show us the depths of his extravagant love. And man, if any one of us leaves here today without encountering such extravagance, what a tragedy that will be. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in just a moment. And I'm going to read to you the the, the words to one of my most favorite gospel hymns. And with our eyes closed and our hearts open, I hope that happens. I want you to hear these words, and then I'm going to pray that you would not miss the extravagance of his love this morning. And I hope every one of you will engage with me on that and engage with Jesus. This is a gospel hymn by Annie Johnson Flint called He Giveth More Grace. So would you just bow your heads with me now, close your eyes, and please, 
please open your heart. Jesus, if anyone's struggling with this, would you just pry our fingers loose? Open us up so that we can engage you right now. Holy Spirit, come. Annie Johnson Flint wrote, He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will up. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Lord Jesus, I don't even have to ask you to come. You are here. Please, Jesus, take authority over the evil one. Post your warring angels in the four corners of this sanctuary. And if anyone is under the power of the wiles of the enemy today, Jesus, with your authority, we declare the enemy has to flee. And we avail ourselves, we open ourselves, we place ourselves right under your authority, Jesus. And we're asking for your extravagant love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people said, Amen, Amen. Listen to this story, and I'm going to walk through the story with you, and then we'll look simply at his extravagance and his frugality. We'll share communion together. That's our morning. John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm going to read down through verse 15. John 6 from the New International Version. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year of wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves 
and two small fish. How far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated. Now listen, here's it, here it is. As much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all, all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Now here's the other half. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Amen. All right, let's look at the story together. First of all, we have a massive need in this story. Just the numbers alone. They only counted the men, but certainly it wasn't just a men's gathering. So there are families there. There are women. There are children. And so easily we could multiply that number by three, maybe four. The crowd was massive. They were far away from any place of provision. They had traveled there because of their yearning just to see this Jesus because the signs he had committed drew their attention. They wanted to see him. And so there they were, far from provision, to see Jesus, and Jesus felt responsibility for the massive need of feeding that whole crowd. So Jesus uses this as a test for the disciples, and I believe the reason for that is that this same feeling would be reproduced within those disciples for the rest of their lives in ministry. And the truth of the matter is, the principles here in this story are absolutely true for any ministry that you and I would ever endeavor to complete. There is a massive need. Has there ever been a time when that has been more real to us in our culture? The massive need for Jesus. The massive need for the unity that comes under the authority of Jesus. Have we ever lived in a time where that has been more prevalent than it is today? the presence of Jesus to unify the church and make it powerful to see men and women come to Christ in revival power. The need is absolutely massive. And this is a story that teaches us about how to meet massive need. And so there's great relevance in this test as Jesus asks the 12 around him, how are we going to feed this crowd? And Philip is willing to say what most of us would have said. What are you talking about? There's no way we can meet this need. It's impossible for us to meet this need. It would take half a year's wages just to provide a bite for this many people. Andrew represents that small portion of us within the church that's willing to say, well, look, here's what we have. We've got this. We could use this. And it just happens to be a little boy's packed lunch with some biscuits and some sardines, basically. But bless Andrew's heart, my goodness. Andrew at least is willing to bring this little boy in his lunch to Jesus and say, we can start here. Can you imagine? Talk about the smile of Jesus. Can you imagine? 
the smile on the face of Jesus with Andrew's little bit of faith with this little lunch. And this is why this is so important. Because as any of us, man, if I've learned anything in ministry, it's this. If any of us attempt to do anything for the kingdom, this is exactly what we'll face. This is all I've got. And there's that massive deed. How in the world am I going to meet that need? That is ministry. And man, fortunately, God's given us from Genesis to Revelation, example after example of God saying, well, what do you have? Think about Moses. He's called a stutterer, an outcast, hiding in the wilderness, encountering a burning bush, given the mandate to lead the people of Israel out of the bondage of the wicked Egyptians. Moses, man, his reaction is, you got the wrong guy, I can't even talk good. How in the world, and what what does God say? Hey, Moses, what do you have? Well, I've got this staff. You got a staff? Awesome! Watch what we'll do together. You and me and that staff. He says to David, you need to kill that giant. David, how in the world? Tries on Saul's armor, just can't do it. Hey, David, what you got? I got a sling. You got a slingshot? Perfect. Watch what we'll do. You see, here's the deal, folks. This is ministry. It's not about the resources that you bring to the table. It's just about what you have. I have a friend that I made in Kansas City And man, he faced the glaring need in Kansas City of families that were homeless and living day by day in hotel rooms. He watched a school bus stop and several families of children come out of one little room, old dilapidated hotel rooms, and get on the school bus. And he said, oh, my Lord. And then he found out how many people were in that state. They couldn't afford the money for a down payment for even a rental of an apartment. And so they were living in these dilapidated hotel rooms, families of five, six, with many children in one hotel room getting onto school buses. And he said, Lord, how in the world could I do anything? And the Lord said, well, what do you have in your pocket? And that's how it started. They ended up buying one of the great big hospitals that was vacant in the city right next to the stadium there in Kansas City. Ended up God providing millions of dollars. But it started with the question, John, what do you have in your pocket? And that's how he started, with one family and and the cash that he had in his pocket. It led to buying that hospital that now houses homeless families and helps them get on their feet with training. You see... The question for us is not how big is the need. (laughs) The question is what do you have? And I I guarantee you that God is still the God that says, wait wait a minute, you've got that? Awesome. Watch what we can do. And now the next thing that I want you to see about this story is is how it happened. Now, I don't know this for 100% surety. I don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly how this happened because it's not clear, but I do think this, and see if you're not with me on this, that Jesus takes the little boy's lunch. We know from some of the other Gospels that he raises it up and thanks his heavenly Father for it. And he has the people sit down in groups, and he gives portions to the disciples. Now, 
Here's how I think that had to have happened. It, it couldn't be this, or somebody would have written it in their gospel, that after Jesus prayed, when they opened their eyes, there was a big poof, and suddenly a little boy's lunch turned into this massive banquet. And so they had all this food there that they could come and get and gather and give to the people. Somebody would have written it if it happened like that. And so the fact that it's not there means this. Jesus got his disciples, took that little boy's lunch, divided it by 12, and gave each disciple a twelfth of a little boy's lunch, and then told them to go out and begin giving it away. I think that's how it had to happen. So here's what that means. Every time they gave a portion away, they had to believe again. Can you imagine being one of those disciples? The fact that not one of them said, what are you talking about? And just said, this is crazy talk. The fact that they were willing means they took a twelfth of a little boy's lunch and gave it to the first person, and then, oh, my goodness. And then they gave more, oh, oh my goodness. And then the, each time, they just had to believe. And again, if any of you that have done ministry, that's pretty much what it's like, right? There aren't many times when we just open our eyes and poof, there it is, all the things that we would ever need to do what we feel like God's asked us to do. It's just this. And in fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus will say something like this. Look, this is the work of God to believe. To believe. To believe. And every time you've got to go, oh my goodness, if Jesus doesn't show up, we're all in big trouble. And you give, and then you believe and you give, and then you believe, and then you give. That is ministry. We never have the resources, it seems, that we need to accomplish. I'm so, I thought of this on the drive here this morning. Um, 2021, really bad year for a lot of reasons. I mean, you, we all share that, right? But I lost my dad in January and my mom in October in the midst of all this chaos. And they were in extended care living facilities in Kentucky during the COVID thing, and we couldn't even get to them. We were left looking through windows at them and waving. It's the perfect storm of pain. And so, man, I've just been reflecting on how much I love them and how awesome they were. My dad is a retired pastor. Just... Man, the best leader I've ever known. And he wrote me a letter when I started ministry. And it was twofold. In the beginning of the letter, he said, be very careful that you don't present yourself better than you are and that you stay authentic. And you don't make people think that you've accomplished. I mean, it's Paul basically, you know, saying, <laughs> I'm the scum of the year. I mean, it's just, it's just this authenticity that's absolutely. But then he ended, the second half of the letter is, but be equally concerned that you limit your ministry and your preaching to the, only the things that you've experienced and fail to call people higher than that. So on the one hand, it wasn't, man, be authentic and be real. But if you're limited by your own experience, man, this is your limitation. <laughs> and, and call people into that. Man, I'm so thankful for wisdom like that. Because ministry is massive. And it's believe and give and believe and give and believe and give. Believing in the resources that God has, in his all-sufficiency. So that's what I think this story teaches us. And we see in Jesus two very important sides. And one is absolutely extravagance. With a little boy's lunch, maybe 20,000 people 
had, according to John, listen, verse 11, as much as they wanted. Extravagance. There are a bunch of times in the Bible where I find myself saying, Jesus, you didn't have to do that. It would have been enough. For instance, listen. Remember when the widow is in the funeral procession? She's just lost her last son. You can't think of a more vulnerable person in the first century than a widow who's just lost her last son. And Jesus is just on his way. And he passes by, and he gets right into the center of that funeral procession and raises the son back to life. Extravagant, right? But there's more. The Bible says this, and there's a reason that it's there. He not only raises him back to life, but Jesus is the one, the Bible says, who gives him back to his mother. The little girl who died and the father who came to Jesus and said, my little girl is dying. Would you come? And Jesus stops everything and goes with the father to their house. And the girl's now dead. She's been dead for days. And he clears out the house and he goes up to the room with just the family and some of the disciples. And he says, little lamb, I say to you, arise. And the little girl comes back to life extravagant. But there's more. He continues looking. And it's Jesus who says, you know what? Somebody ought to get her something to eat. She's been dead for days. She's probably hungry. Certainly a mother or an aunt or somebody would have kicked in and said, we probably ought to feed her, but no, it's Jesus. He's the one. And you're left saying, you know, it would have been enough for you just to raise her from the dead. That would have been enough. He's the one that says, she's hungry. Somebody ought to feed her. Extravagance. He didn't have to do that. And that's the way he is right now. He's not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who's here right now. We've gathered here in his name. He's made a covenant with that promise that he'll come into the center of any gathering like that, even just two or three of us. So he's right here right now, and he hasn't changed in his character at all. He's, a, he's the Godhead who's extravagant in the way that he loves. And any Johnson Flynn had it right. She knew that Jesus. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's who he is. And that's what we need. It's what you need today. And the enemy has us with our heads down and our eyes down looking at the limited resources that we have. And all he's really asking is, what do you got? And how much do you want? And that's really what John 7 is about, right? If anyone is thirsty, can come to me. And there will be rivers of living water flowing from within them. But the question is, are you thirsty? And you know what the answer is for most people in the church in my experience now with almost 40 years in ministry? That doesn't seem right. You're not thirsty. 
I think most of the church is like, yeah, I had a drink of that water 30 years ago. It was awesome. I loved it, but I'm good. And we've lost the one thing that's necessary. And that's more. And he's waiting. His resources are limitless. <laughs> and he just wants us to be thirsty. How much is enough for you? How much grace? How much of the Holy Spirit? And again, the Bible says this, if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children. And again, I'm coming off of a week that was three years of dreaming and planning and saving and working. Man, to see the joy in my children and grandchildren... I told a couple of the guys this morning about the trip. I'm not sure I'd take $1,000 for even the 60 seconds that I watched Aria, our four-year-old, Zach's daughter. Some of you know my son, Zachary. But four-year-old Aria on the Frozen ride, singing at the top of her lungs with her arms waving, let it go! I don't think I'd take, I, I, may, I might. But I don't think, right now at least, I don't think I'd take $1,000 for that. And that I got to provide that. Tanya and I got to be responsible for that. Listen, if earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, Luke 11, how much more will the heavenly father give his Holy Spirit to his children who ask. So really, man, again, it's not the need, it's not the need out there. It's not even the cavernous need that you might feel inside of you this morning. The question is, what do you have and how much do you want? How much is enough? Extravagance. Now, let's flip it. Because the same one who is so extravagant is frugal. Verse 12 and 11. Gather the pieces that have been left over. Twelve basketfuls. This is Jesus, his words. Let nothing be wasted. Let nothing be wasted. Now, we don't know what that means exactly. What did he have in mind for that? I think it's interesting that there was a basket for each of the disciples that believed. Every, I mean, they did the work, right? The work of God is this, to believe. And I think this is exactly how it went. They had to believe every time. Every time they handed it out, they had to believe again. And so that was the work of God, and they gather up, and they, now they have a basket full of pieces left over. I also know how Jesus cares for the poor. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if something that's not here is that Jesus had in mind distributing what was left over to the poor. Because that would certainly line up within his character. But here's what we know for sure. He didn't want any of that extravagance wasted. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think for those of us that have walked with him for years and we've grown in him, we've experienced the, the blessing of sanctification, the fullness of of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we've had grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I think the first thing that I'd like to say that means is this, biblically, to whom much is given, much is required. 
and we're accountable to that. And so we do have to wrestle with this. All the blessing that God has given us is meant to be shared and not wasted. But here's where I'd like to land on this. I also believe that turmoil and trial and pain and suffering is something that Jesus is asking us not to waste. Don't miss what I have for you in this pain. And I'll use as an illustration, it's a friend that Rodney and Belinda and Tanya and I had back in the day when we were all in Wilmore, Kentucky. I was pastoring a church called Great Commission Fellowship. Rodney and Belinda were finishing a seminary degree there. They became our first church planters that we laid hands on and sent out from that church in Wilmore. They planted um, uh, just uh, near Atlanta. And we've been running together ever since then, almost 30 years, 27, 28 years. And one of the people that we knew in that season that was attending the college, a friend of ours, I won't share her name. I haven't asked her permission, but I will share this, uh, uh, an encounter that I had with her later in life because we were together again, all three, all, you know, that whole group were together again at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and she was suffering at that time with Crohn's disease. And um, I had walked with her in some counseling from abuse that she experienced as a child. Horrendous. And she compared Crohn's disease to that. Um, she said, just like when I was a kid, I never know when it's going to come into my room and I never know when it's going to inflict pain on me. And it just hits me, and then it's a hospital stay. And um, uh, it was dreadful. I mean, she compared it to the worst pain she had experienced from an abusive father. And, and so I said, how are you making it? How are you doing it? How are you surviving? And this is what she said to me. She said, well... I choose to believe that Jesus is head over heels in love with me. And so there's got to be something in this that I've not yet encountered about him. Because, now listen to this, it costs him when I suffer. Because he loves me. Now, listen, I've walked in ministry now for a long time, and I just experienced this myself with my parents. That person that's sitting along the bedside of someone who suffers, suffers. And that's what she was saying about Jesus. He loves me. And so it costs him when I suffer, so there's got to be something here that I've got to encounter. Or he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't let it happen. Man, I love that. <laughs> she wasn't wasting the pain. Listen to this. Psalm 56, verse 8. Listen, please listen. You have kept count of my tossings. And I just wonder if there's not someone here that's struggling with sleep. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This extravagant lover is also very frugal. And he will not, if you'll let him, waste a moment of your pain. It's Paul coming to this revelation. I want to know him. 
the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. None of that should be wasted. Before we have communion together, let me share this story. And listen, I'm old now, all right? So I repeat myself, and I've probably shared this here. But that's just the way it is. All right. Thank you, Brian. So I encountered this guy um, in Nashville that I got to know. And um, his wife, he had just divorced his wife. And uh, the last couple of years had been horrendous. She was drinking um, uncontrollably, coming home drunk. Um, she was out sometimes all night. He didn't know where she was. They tried counseling. He was patient. He tried everything. They had small children. When it got to the place where he was concerned for his children's safety, he just said, I, I mean, it was, it was over. And he sought a lawyer and just experienced a divorce. But he was broken. The lowest point of his life, he said. And so I was engaging with him uh, counseling and talking and praying and before I was to meet him I had I, I'm not sure I've ever had an experience like this before but it was an open vision and again it's not something that's normal for me but it happened with with this guy I was I could see it as I was praying for him and I saw a platform with a vase on it that I knew was extremely expensive. I could just tell this is a piece of art that is priceless, this vase. I could see the colors. There was blue and green and gold in this vase. And it was just on, a, on like a platform, uh, on a stand. And as I watched the vase, the stand began to rock. And I could feel just, oh my goodness, nobody was around. And yet, the platform, the stand that it was on, began slowly to rock until the point where the vase then began to rock. And then, sure enough, the vase just tipped off of the stand and fell to the ground and broke into a whole bunch of pieces. And I could feel it. It was like, oh my goodness, it's priceless. And then I saw Jesus come with a broom <laughs> and a pan. And very carefully, he swept all the pieces up of that vase into a pan. And I thought, well, you know, he's, is, is this just about cleaning up? What is this? And he took all the pieces in that pan and went off. And there was just silence and nothing for a while. But then I saw Jesus come back. And at, at first, I'm thinking, well, he can put all the pieces together. I mean, he's better than Humpty Dumpty, right? Uh, and he'll just put all the pieces together again and we'll have the vase again. But he didn't come back with the vase. He came back with the mosaic made from all of those broken pieces. And I remember thinking, that's breathtaking equally as beautiful, maybe more beautiful. Because now it meant something. All that brokenness was put together into something that I thought might be even more beautiful. And then it just, you know, I started recognizing what that was all about. And it's really how Jesus works, isn't it? You've lived long enough to know that it's not like he always just puts it all back together again the way it was. He's wildly creative in his beauty. And he's able to take even the broken things of our life and bring beauty from them. Because his love is extravagant 
and he's frugal. He's able in your life, in my life, to let nothing be wasted. <laughs> and he's right here. And we're going to take bread and break it. You're going to have a little piece of it. you're going to relive and reenact the greatest demonstration of love that could ever have been given that God gave his only son. And today you can ask for more. Because it's not about the depth of your need or the massive need all around us of darkness. It's about what you have and how much you want. So, please, with everything that's in me, would you avail yourself to that? Don't miss it. As you take that bread and drink that juice, the presence of the Holy Spirit can come upon you. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus, why would you walk from this service this morning without him? You can receive him as you receive that bread. If you need to recommit yourself today, today is your day. The Bible says don't harden your heart. If you come with great need, we have a great Savior, extravagant in His love, and He won't waste a tear that you've shed. So would you encounter Him? Listen, His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Bow your heads with me, would you pray? Heavenly Father, we come in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask today, that your spirit would fall fresh on us. More grace, more forgiveness, more Holy Spirit power, and a conviction that even when we suffer, it costs you. And so, Lord, we want to encounter everything we can in the fellowship of your suffering so that nothing is wasted. Meet us today. Love us today. Fill us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Rodney, would you come and help me with communion?